best run here at the Indianapolis 500. Mario, who do you feel you'll have to beat in this year's race? People like uh, A.J. Foyt and uh, Bobby Unser, for instance. Stand by for the checkered flag. Absolutely incredible. Danny Sullivan spun in front of Mario Andretti. A.J. has done it. He has won his fourth Indianapolis 500. Beyond the Bricks with Jay Query and Mike Thompson on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Hey, good evening to you. We have uh, deloused the studio after Kevin and Kurt were just in. I'm not a germ-phobe by any stretch of the imagination. But I came in all excited to actually do some homework, Sam Rumsa. And I walked in, I'm like, wait, what's going on here? So it will have to wait for another hour before I uh, finish my exam here on environmental conservation. Uh, finishing up my college degree, by the way, in case anybody was wondering about that at Indiana University. Uh, good evening to you. My name is Jake Query. Mike Thompson will be joining me on the program as well. This is Beyond the Bricks, our look beyond the Indianapolis Motor Speedway at the history, the names, the personalities, the eateries, you name it. We discuss it on this program. Uh, Mike, here we are. And, you know, it's funny to me when I do the morning show. Oftentimes I get home from the morning show and then maybe I'll take a nap or do some things throughout the day. And then all of a sudden it's like in my mind the next day I turn the page to the next day fairly quickly, which in this particular circumstance is a little bit different because we're doing Beyond the Bricks at night, of course. But in my mind, I turned the page to tomorrow already from the morning show standpoint, which means we're basically halfway done with the week. We just got started on this, right? I know. I thought about that. Uh, I thought about that today when we were talking about what are we going to do for the rest of the week, and I'm thinking we only got a couple more shows. Yeah, so that's right. <laughs> I was uh, I was thinking about that as well. Yeah, and I I had a I'll be honest. I had a lot of fun talking about like Union Jack last night. I mean, I'm just lamenting the fact that uh, you know like that's just not going to be there anymore and just all the great memories we had at that place. And, you know, just talking about, um, I think you brought up a really good point about, uh, it's just, you know, places like that are just so much part of the fabric of people's experience. You know, it's not just the race itself. It's, it's, you know, where do I meet, you know, uncle fred or whoever it is and and we went and we went to the union jack or we went to charlie brown's and that's, that's our place. And it's just, there's so many, other things that are a part of the events, uh, the Brickyard and, and part of the Indianapolis 500 that I think, you know, once you start thinking about them, uh, they you realize how important they really are. I think, Mike, for a lot of people, uh, and by the way, we're going to be joined, Matt Yoakum is going to join us coming up here in about 15 minutes or so. We will take a look at not only the upcoming racing that's going to take place at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, but also one of the most famous names, certainly in terms of the surname, at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, winning a championship, a racing championship over the course of the weekend. We're talking about Marco Andretti and SRX. Matt will talk to us uh, about that, among other things. But, Mike, let's begin with this. I, I want to go over first off, and I know that Kevin probably did this, but I want to recap it for people. Uh, if you are listening on a podcast form or listening live, this is the schedule for Friday. Now, I'm not going to bore everybody with the entire weekend of scheduling, but this Friday at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, things get underway. The gates open at 8.30 in the morning, and then at 9.30, it is a 90-minute IndyCar practice session. Now, that 90-minute Indy, uh, IndyCar practice session can be heard on the IndyCar radio network on Sirius XM. 
It can also be viewed on Peacock. That gets underway at 9.30 in the morning. So they they lay down uh, plenty of that Firestone rubber before 1 o'clock coming back for qualifying for the Gallagher Grand Prix. That is the IndyCar Grand Prix race that will be taking place on Saturday. But again, 90-minute practice session that will be oh so important at 9.30 on Friday, followed by qualifying at 1 o'clock. Then there's a gap in the schedule before the Pennzoil 150 at the Brickyard. That is the Xfinity race. The Xfinity uh, Xfinity cars go out and practice for 30 minutes from 3.05 until 3.35. Mike, reality is that's fairly important because they are going to have qualifications uh, coming up following that. But that practice session becomes very important because – They've got to go out and lay down a different rubber, if you will, than the Firestone that's already going to be laid down, that Firestone rubber from the Indy cars. You put different rubber compound on a racetrack than the rubber that's on your car, as obviously NASCAR has a different rubber compound. Uh, it's important in that practice session for them to re-rubber the track to the liking of their cars. Oh, yeah, I think uh, I think this weekend you're especially going to be looking, especially on the IndyCar side, obviously, since they've raced the, the road course so many more times. But you're going to be looking at those people with experience because, uh, you know, with, with you're using a couple of different compounds, as you said, uh, it's going to catch some people out potentially. And and I, that's why I think I think Kevin brought it up in the last in, in trackside tonight. You know, th- this is a prime weekend for a guy like a Will Power um, to, to gain even more in the championship in the IndyCar side of things because he's so we know how good he is uh, on the road course circuit. I mean, he's, he's raced there 12 times. I think he's won five out of the 12 times he's raced on that circuit. So, uh, you know, guys with experience like like Will and Scott Dixon, that's going to really be a beneficial thing. But but you're right. I mean, when you're you're. One of the things I love about this weekend, though, is there's something happening all the time. You know, it's 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 they called it a, a few years ago. I, if I recall correctly, they called it the Super Weekend, and that was the the year that the the uh, the IMSA cars were there. And and this is even more super, I think, than than that because you've got the Xfinity cars, you've got the Cup cars, you've got the Indy cars. So there's really something for everybody uh, this weekend. Now, 335 is going to be qualifications for the Pennzoil 150. Again, that's the Xfinity Quals that takes place 335. That will round things out on Friday. Mike, let's go to this, and we'll talk about this upcoming with Matt. But to kind of set things up in terms of tonight, to me, I think of the NASCAR racing at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway really in now in my mind two chapters, so to speak. There is the original groundwork that was laid that we have talked about before with the decision to run the Brickyard 400 and the inaugural running of that, won by Jeff Gordon, of course, in 1994, and the massive crowds that we talked about last night and the buzz. And there were so many factors to me that went into play in terms of the decline of attendance, not just in the Indianapolis Motor Speedway attendance, but also just in NASCAR in general, racing in general. But I think a big part of that, Mike, and I want you to tell me if you think I'm off base. You know, NASCAR hit a huge zenith around the time that the Brickyard got underway. And you could certainly make the argument that running at IMS and and the most famous racetrack in the world gave them that final, I guess, justification as a series. I, that That sounds pretty arrogant from an Indianapolis standpoint. But you know what I mean. I mean, now, you know, the last holy grail for them to run so to speak and they were running here and it coincided certainly with the rise in popularity the decline of open wheel racing in the split was a factor for sure 
But I also think that NASCAR went through a period where it became a transcendent trend for those that had not been motorsports fans. That was the sport they latched onto. And for a five to, let's say, seven to eight year window from the late 90s and the early 2000s, it was the sport of trend in the United States. But I think one of the things that most hurt it is around 2000s, you know, I I think about people that I knew and grew up with that were never big NASCAR fans, Mike, that suddenly were all in on NASCAR. And they loved, and, and, and look, it's great. I mean, they loved getting the RV and going from racetrack to racetrack to support their favorite driver and watching it and camping out, and they made race friends. You know, that's what the whole thing's about in the summertime, right, Mike? You know, from one racetrack to the next, right? That's right. And so with that, I think what happened to a lot of people, Mike, and I want your opinion on this, not only did maybe just the the doing that year after year after year, you know, begin people's lives change, obviously, but once you had an economic downturn around 2007, 2008, that was around the same time that not only were people maybe from, you know, having to start to pinch their pennies a little bit, but fueling up those RVs, that price skyrocketed around the same time that the price of flat screen high def televisions plummeted because of abundancy of them. And as a result of that, now all of a sudden, people were like, wait a minute, instead of spending the money to travel to races, I can just sit on my couch and watch them in high def. And I don't need to be at race from one racetrack to the next, combined with the fact that a lot of them had already gone through and and experienced IMS. And so as a result of that, I just think that it all combined for the imperfect storm for the attendance to start to wane. Oh, I agree 100%. But I think there's a couple other factors you have to look at as well, especially with the IMS factor is then all of a sudden you add Kentucky to the mix and then you add Chicagoland to the mix. And then it's, you know, I don't if if I live in Kentucky, I've got a racetrack right here. Uh, if I live, you know, in the nor- you know southern Wisconsin or, or northern Illinois, I've got a racetrack right here. I can go see a cup race. And so I think those, you know, adding all of a sudden adding all these tracks around IMS that hurt IMS. And then I think to your other point, all of a sudden with all of these tracks starting to come in, so many of them were the exact same thing. I mean, once you've seen, you, if you've seen Kansas, you've seen Texas, if you've seen, I mean, you've seen, there wasn't anything new about any of these things. Nobody was building another Bristol. Nobody was building something unique. They were building the same thing over and over and over again. And, and so there was nothing new. I mean, nobody was building Ontario, right? Nobody was building Riverside. Um, nobody was building something that you had to see to believe type thing. Um, so, you know, that I think hurt, I think hurt NASCAR. And one of the things I keep telling people is, you know, I know there's, you know, you hear this too. I mean, obviously formula one is the flavor of the month right now. We hear about how the demographics are changing and everybody's watching formula one right now. And it's the hottest thing around and because of drive to survive and all these things. And, but, but at some point, when you add so many races now, if, if it, there's going to be more and more races in the United States, and, you know, all I keep doing is pointing back to what you just said about NASCAR. NASCAR had this tremendous zenith, it would, and everybody was all in on NASCAR, and they were cranking out all these die casts and cranking out millions of trading cards and all this stuff, and everybody was wearing Jeff Hamilton jackets and all this stuff for a few, you know, five-year period, and then it went bust. 
And that's what I keep trying to explain about this Formula One situation is, you know, when that stops being the flavor of the month, watching Driver Drive to Survive, how many of these people are actually Formula One fans or are they Drive to Survive fans? Right. Or they're and, on the swing yeah. dancing and cigars or whatever the next trend or is. Or whatever. Right? What's the Correct. next reality show that grabs everybody? Right. I mean, what's the next thing? What's the next flavor of the month? Like I say. If they're all Formula One fans, great. You know, we want as many racing fans as we can have. But but are they actually racing fans or are they drive to survive? I'm I'm here for the, you know, the 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 made up drama. You know, that's what I'm here for. That's what I concerns me about this this alleged F one boom. Well, so then NASCAR once, you know, the, the obviously the Brickyard survived the the dip. They came up with different ways to try to get attendance and then they decide to change it to what now we will see for the second year, and that is the road course. And we'll get into talking about whether or not that, in fact, does give a shot in the arm into stock cars at IMS and whether or not this is kind of version two of a new thrill for people to come out and watch. And we're going to talk to a guy who has been around for a lot of different forms of racing and saw live in person Marco Andretti win a championship over the course of the weekend. Matt Yoakum will be our guest tonight on Beyond the Bricks. He joins us next. You're listening to it on 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. <laughs> 19 minutes after the hour, Jake Query, Mike Thompson. This is Beyond the Bricks, taking a look at the stories beyond the bricks. See how appropriately named it is? It's the greatest racing facility in the world. I would say the greatest sports facility in the world. But the thing that makes the Indianapolis Motor Speedway is seemingly there are as many great traditions and connections to people as the 3.2 million bricks that make up the two-and-a-half-mile oval. Our next guest is one of those that certainly has a reverence for that because he is somebody who is no stranger to motorsports of all form and fashion, whether you're talking about IROC, whether you're talking about his years working in NASCAR, or, of course, his current work, which is on CBS with the Superstar Racing Experience. SRX is what we call it. Marco Andretti was crowned as the champion, and Matt Yoakum has been kind enough to take a little bit of time tonight to once again, like we did last year, visit and talk about some of the great things that have happened over at 16th and Georgetown. Hi, Matt. Good evening to you. Thanks for joining us. Oh, man. Excited to be back as always. And by the way, I'm just going to go ahead and preface it by saying I am not at a Shania Twain concert, if you happen to hear her in the background, although she is pretty smoking hot. If you saw her at uh, Coachella, I know you guys are big music aficionados also, so you appreciate uh, the fact that she can still you know, perform like it was 25 years ago. And you see that a lot in NASCAR. And I'm going to tell you guys something else. You talked a lot about the history that just oozes from every inch of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Today, Mike, I was out at the Daytona International Speedway, you know, opened about uh, 50 years later. But in the Motorsports Hall of Fame of America, they had a beautiful – Rex May's helmet. They had a Bob Swikert helmet. Beautiful pieces. So uh, if you've ever get a chance to go south uh, to Florida, you got to hit the museum. Beautiful pieces in there. 
Yeah, ever since they moved the the hall down there from from Novi, they're they're definitely interested in in getting pieces from all forms of motorsports, which is great. It's great to see guys like Bob Swiker getting getting recognized down there in Daytona. So that must have been really cool to see. And it's nice to you, by the way, Matt. I I would appreciate it when I called you last night to ask if you join us on your vacation. So I appreciate that that you're calling us on your on your vacation tonight. Hey, any chance you know me to talk? And I'm just going to say this, folks. You want to talk about two guys who talk about the most useless and unique, cool-to-know stuff. We get into some of the conversations via text, via on the cell, uh, at midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning, because one of us will have a question. And be like, oh, let me look in my archives. And, of course, you know, Mike has got the archives of all archives, so he's my go-to guy. But that's what's so cool when the, you, know, you, you talk about Indianapolis and, and whether it's the NASCAR uh, history there, the open wheel history, the the record runs that they've done with the Pontiacs way back in the day. You know, that's what's so cool is tradition. And, you know, the tradition at Indianapolis, I saw Austin Sendrick's Daytona 500 winning car today. And instantly, um, as you know, we went behind the ropes because we were the only ones there because they were closed. And, uh, you know, George uh, gave us a, a behind-the-scenes tour, so I took a picture to send to Austin. Go, hey man! By the way, she's still looking pretty. Uh, still has the dirt on her, and uh, what what a win that was! But I really think he's the guy that I would put my money on uh, to win. I mean, he's such a, an impressive young man, student of the game, and a road racer like he is. He's the guy that I'm shooting for uh, for NASCAR up there. When you look at it, Matt, I want to get to this because it's a perfect segue, I think. You know, you're in Daytona. You're looking at the car that Austin Cindric, you know, the car still looks beautiful. It's on display. It's, and, then you, and then you reach out to him knowing that he's going to be running, of course, at IMS this weekend on the road course. We were talking about how IMS, it was such a magical thing for people in the mid-'90s for NASCAR to come to IMS does any of that get recaptured in terms of a new mystique by having the event, even though it's still the same facility and it's still the same, you know, essentially weekend of, of cup cars at IMS, does it reinvigorate at all kind of the juice or the magic of it by having now a new tradition of the road course as opposed to the oval? You know, that's one of those things where you could sit there and have a fire pit discussion and you could break down so many different elements of oval, road course, mystique. Uh, is it coming back? What was the real reason why? I mean, there's so many different things that we could sit there and touch on, um, you know, over a, a case of beer. But the, the one thing is it's in Annapolis, or as AJ always says, in Annapolis. And it doesn't matter, I think, if they're running country squire wagons in a celebrity race. You want to win there because it's Indianapolis. And when you walk out, whether you're going, you know, the traditional oval way or you're going the road course way, I don't care who you are. If you don't get goosebumps when you walk out to pit lane and just think of all the history that's been there, whether it's been Formula One with Michael Schumacher, you name it. And, and that's why I think it's Indianapolis and it's Indianapolis, and especially now uh, in the Roger Penske era and his team. And every time I go there, 
you know, and it had been a couple of years, I think, uh, you know, maybe uh, two or three. And I saw what he has already done. I mean, to me, she, she is so polished up. She was always a show place, but you've got about nine coats of McGuire's wax on there to where you've got to put sunglasses on now. And I think that uh, anybody wants to win there and say they won in Indianapolis. Matt, I want to go back to mentioning, you mentioned Austin Sindrick and, and you and I, and I think people also at home know, but you know, his, his grandfather was a guy who was pretty special. Um, Jim Truman, um, a guy who is near and dear to a lot of our hearts. Um, one of the first people I, I actually met in racing, I actually snuck into the garage and you'll probably love this, Matt, because I snuck into the garage at Michigan International Speedway when I was 12 years old, because I was already six foot tall and snuck in and, and the first person I met to try to get an autograph of was who I thought was Roger Penske, but it was actually Jim Truman. Oh, and, I said, funny. and I said, hey, Mr. Penske, will you sign my, my program? And he said, uh, well, I'm not Roger Penske, but I am a car owner and I'm also from Ohio and I'll sign your sign your program for you. And oh, uh, wow, that's great. So he's He's a special guy, but obviously Jim Truman, the car owner for, for Bobby Ray Hall, who we, we sadly lost just a few days after he and Bobby Ray Hall together won the Indianapolis 500. But how much do you think it would mean to, to Austin Cindric to get a, a cup win at Indianapolis? Oh, my gosh. I mean, just think of it. He would go up on top of the Pagoda and watch the 500s and, and just all the history that he has seen because both of his grandfathers have open-wheel DNA. Uh, Tim's dad, uh, you know, obviously, uh, and then, of course, you know, Jim Truman. And I uh, did a, a story once with Austin, and he's got his grandfather's helmet on his shelf at home. So, you know, you think about the history, that, and he is such a student of the game as far as history. Um, you know, like yourself, we all love uh, artifacts. And, you know, and I said to him, I said, look, there's a Donahue uh, helmet bag on eBay. I'm not going to bid on it because that's what pals do. We all let each other know what we're interested in so we don't bid against each other. Uh, as it's very easy to do, as you know, Mike. Um, you and I work but, together uh, on a lot of these things. <laughs> on a lot of these things. And, and, I, uh, and I had basically uh, texted with zach brown i said look next time you're going to bid on something let me know because you could obviously outbid me so let me help you <laughs> but uh but you know the thing is he's got his grandfather's helmet um on his shelf in his, in his home so when you you look at his dna and he respects that he cherishes that and oh my gosh to win the daytona 500 and then to go to the indy and win I mean, that's a career right there. And uh, I, I certainly think with his, you know, prowess on the road courses, to me, you know, people would say, well, maybe it's so-and-so or maybe it's this part. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm going Austin Cindric. Uh His success there in Xfinity, uh, I think he's, he's only going to match that and, and I think take it up a notch in the cup car. Matt Yoakum is our guest, and this is Beyond the Bricks. My name is Jake Quarry. Mike Thompson here as well. Matt, I want to get back to what you were talking about in terms of, and I know, you know, you and I don't know each other well, but we've um, talked a few times away from this show and then obviously on the show. One thing I know about you, I don't know that others do, 
those that follow you are probably aware of, along with your reverence for covering racing in a broadcast standpoint and talking about racing, you are uh, an avid collector of helmets in particular among racing memorabilia. You and Mike both share passions for racing memorabilia. And I'm curious, in terms of racing helmets and those that collect them, um, how much a factor is it? You know, obviously somebody who is a collector is going to be going after a helmet of a driver that has significance to them. But how much, if at all, does it factor into what races that helmet was worn? In other words, is a Mario Andretti helmet that was worn, uh, you know, look, I'm not talking about his race-winning Indy 500 helmet or, you know, whatever else, but uh, we'll take Kurt Busch. I'll go that route. Does a Kurt Busch helmet that he wore in the Daytona 500 fetch more than a Kurt Busch helmet that he wore in, you know, Las Vegas Speedway? Or is it does it really just depend on a number of different factors? I think that's a great question, and it's a lot like if you're a kid and you're collecting coins. A 1943, uh, you know, silver penny is worth probably a lot more than a 1944, and I think a lot of different things go into it of what you collect. And the first thing that people say, and Michael seconds this, is that you have to kind of zone in on a certain area. You just can't be a wide collector of everything because then your collection starts to get out of control. And Mike has such a magnificent, you know, autograph collection, photo collection, and and that's what he, you know, he's got a few other pieces that are magnificent too, but that's what he has zeroed in more on. And for me, it's, it's more helmets, a couple suits, but mostly helmets. And it's like Michael Jordan, a pair of, you know, Air Jordans worn in the NBA finals are going to be, worth a lot more as long as you can document it versus an MJ playing against the Orlando magic regular season. And so I I think that's how you zero in on it. Auto racing. Things are a lot tougher to come by because especially the older uh, eras, because they would use a helmet for the whole year. And at the end of the year, they might give it to somebody or just chuck it because it was so worn out. And now that's different because of, the value that there are so many collectors. Whereas back in the day, Bobby Allison's IROC suit, 1975, Barb Signori, uh, Jay's late wife, and Jay, one of the co-owners of IROC, the International Race of Champions, and, and she sent me, she had my mom measure me. She knew what the deal was. I didn't. And then all of a sudden, I had for a Christmas present, Bobby Allison's 1975 IROC fire suit. His name, though, taken off, mine put on, and she had rolled about six times the material to shorten it to about a five-foot, you know, four-foot-eight kid. And uh, I still have that to this day with my name on it, exactly how it was. My daughter, who's 12, could probably wear it. Um, But back then, nobody... Nobody really cared about a lot of stuff like that, but that certainly has changed. Um, but I think that's to answer your question. It all depends on you know the history behind it, and so many times. And Mike, you know this. You start out down a rabbit hole on one thing, and you jump into something else, and you're like, oh my gosh, had no idea the history behind this piece because you just thought it might have been a, a Mario Andretti helmet. Well, then you look at 
you know, what was behind that season that day uh, that he wore it. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, I, I picked up a piece earlier this year as an autograph program, a, a George Robson signed program, and I found out that it was signed the day before he lost his life in an accident down at Lakewood Speedway. So it was one of the few, the last few autographs he ever signed. You know, so it's it's amazing the things you find about the pieces you buy. But one of the key words you said and what you just said is documentation, because I think what people need to realize is how many times you and I talk where you say, Hey, do you have pictures in your archive? And, and people may not know that I own the racing pictorial photo archive and other photo archives, but, but Matt will call or text and say, I need a photograph of this particular helmet. And you're trying to photo match and photo matching is so critical for what we do. Um, and other people do this with me as well. And they're like, Hey, I need a picture of, of somebody driving this car because I'm trying to photo match this helmet because it's so critical to, to know, uh, that this is the actual helmet that this person was wearing on, on that particular day. Because if you can photo match a helmet to a particular race, especially if it's an Indianapolis 500 helmet, uh, Indianapolis 500 suit, it changes the value dramatically, as Jake was alluding to. Oh, absolutely. You know, I've got a Mario Andretti 1969 Dirt Champ Car helmet. And Mike was a huge help because we're going, okay, everything on it is spot on. I mean, it is authentic. We know that. But why was there a couple characteristics about the helmet that we were a little bit puzzled by? And we couldn't find it, couldn't find anything. And then all of a sudden, he's like, boom, bingo. It was a flip-down visor. And that explained everything. But so many different pieces that you come across. And the other issue, um, now that Mike's got the, the archives, you know, like he does from Racing Victorial, it was very difficult to find, you know, certain pictures because it might not have his fire suit or it might not have his helmet on. And so many times I've got a Mark Donahue 1971 helmet and I knew it was authentic. Carl Kanehofer and I talked about the unique characteristics about it um, for, um, and I just, for years, I kept trying to find a picture of it and I was flipping through Facebook and I almost blew right on past a Mark Donahue page. And I'm like, you know, go back for a second. And when I went back, there was my helmet on the grid at Trenton. And I'm like, wow, holy smokes. There it is. And I've been searching for 10 years for a picture of it. And, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm going to tell you right now that you guys are the biggest name in motorsports right now because I just red buttoned Tony Stewart to stay talking old-time racing with you guys. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Speaking of that, Tony Stewart series, Matt Yoakum is our guest, and it's much appreciated, Matt. Before we let you go, I do want to talk about what took place, um, of course, courtesy of, to an extent, Tony Stewart. This was on CBS on Saturday night. Here is how it sounded, talking about Marco Andretti. Here we go. Eventually wins the race, and there's Marco Andretti. There is your champion of the SRX Series this year by two points over Ryan Newman. Marco Andretti is the SRX champion. And I think that was a lot more of an eventful night that he was looking for. There was moments where he was third in the championship standings. There was moments he was in the lead. He ultimately wins the championship. Ryan Newman missing it by two points. 
And that was a great moment, I think, Matt, not just because of, you know, a couple of things here in play. Number one for Marco Andretti. You know, I know how proud his father was of that. And this is a series that I think there was a lot of curiosity about it a year ago. Um, guys have fun doing it. But look, man, it's 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 competitive racing. It's it's every, you know, obviously it shows off driver skill because the cars are so even. And then you factor in that Marco Andretti had a broken wrist. Uh, that was a pretty special night for Marco in a series that continues now to grow a fan base. Well, when you look at that night, you look at the season, but also look back to last year. When Marco Andretti won Slinger, you could just see week in, week out. I mean, he just got better and better, more comfortable with the car. But each week he impressed. And I think he was probably the person that impressed everyone the most because, you know, he's got two IndyCar wins, yes. And he decided to, to back, take a step back and have fun. Run things kind of like what his grandfather used to do. He might go run a, a sports car in IMSA with his cousin. Or he may decide to go run SRX. Maybe he's going to run the Indy 500. I could see him in an Xfinity car or a Cup car coming up at some point just because I think this ABCD-type schedule program, uh, we talk about Ryan Newman when he won the Daytona 500. Uh, He won the Brickyards. And he started out ARCA Bush Cup. And I think today – it is so cool for people to be able to go and just jump around and run stuff for fun. And I think if you saw Marco through the SRX, you know, summer six this year and last year, the kid was having fun. And I think that's something pretty cool to see. His grandfather, Mario Andretti, did a really nice tweet uh, before the race. And it was neat to see him. And then on top of that, to break his wrist uh, when he had the accident you know, with the wheel and everything, to break his wrist and to drive essentially one-handed and to, you know, keep it together and and score the championship. I think that was really cool, uh, you know, for him. But I think racing and sub, it's almost like a throwback. And uh, I think he really turned a lot of heads. I'd love to see him in an Xfinity car. I'd love to see him at the Rolex 24. And and I'd like to see more drivers with that ABCD-type program. Matt, how much fun, though, was it for you to see Marco just having fun and just, I mean, you know, there's so much pressure that goes with that name, Andretti, and and the last few years you could see just Marco wasn't having that much fun in the full season in IndyCar, but in the SRX, he looks like he's just having a good time, and and it's been so much fun to just see joy on Marco's face for me personally. Oh, me too. You look back to last year, and as the – as the races were checked off, you could see that he was more and more relaxed and he was having so much fun. And then I saw him put on Twitter a post of, hey, you know, heading to Cabo San Lucas, blah, blah, blah. Go ahead and shoot me your questions if you want. And he was doing Q&A with the fans. And someone mentioned about the, the 2022 season. He said, I'm going to do the 500 and then I'm going to do the SRX. And I might do some IMSA stuff. I'm not sure. And I tweeted something and, you know, about, just how much fun it was to see him with a smile on his face when in Slinger. And I'd see him some sometime down the road. So I was actually on my way to Cabo San Lucas too, but I, I didn't really want to give up where I was going because people know, hey, if he's going to Cabo, Stewart's not married yet. I'll bet the wedding is happening this weekend. Now, Marco, I mean, he's a, an international globe setter, you know, you know, globe trotter, whatever you want to call it, jet setter. They expect him to be in all these fantastic locations. Me, 
if I'm going out of the country someplace they know, I must be going for a reason. And so we get there, and he walks in, and he sees me in the pool. I'm talking to the snake, Don Perdome. And he looks at me and he's like, dude, what's up? And I said, look, man, everybody expects you. No one expects me. We're trying to keep it a little bit of a secret right now. And then he's the guy, and I said it during one of the SRX shows, he was Tony Stewart's publicist on the fact that he had officially gotten married because he's the guy that tweeted it and Instagrammed it, um, you know, with a little bit of a bet there with Rusty Rush, one of Stewart's longtime friends and sponsors, that it actually happened. So that's the kind of fun that, that I saw this year and last year with Marco, and I think it's really cool to see. Well, Matt, I'll tell you what, I appreciate taking out the time tonight uh, on a time when you could be, you know, chilling by the pool in Cabo or hanging out with whoever. Uh, to be able to talk to us, talk about uh, the helmet collection, you know, just the weekend that is upon us now of stock cars and, and IndyCar all coming together again to be able to play on the road course. It's going to be a lot of fun, but to be able to have you on after all of the different motorsports you've covered as well, certainly appreciate it. And hopefully you enjoy the rest of the week and some, some time off here. Hey, absolutely. Love your all show. It is so popular. I mean, you can see the Twitter following that you have, you know, and appreciate the passion that you guys have and the opportunity to, to share that with the uh, all the radio listeners and all the, the Indianapolis fans. Much appreciated. Matt Yoakum again was on the call Saturday night as Marco Andretti won the season championship in SRX. Mike, I think it was an interesting point that Matt makes in the fact that, you know, that's the fun thing about SRX is the fact that, and you you will see this this weekend, I think, with so many drivers, certainly in the Xfinity side and Cup side, that are just willing to get in anything. If it's got four wheels, they're going to go race it. Absolutely. That's what I love about SRX is the fact that you've got different people from different series. You've got Ernie Francis coming in, and then you've got the local ringer of the week they bring in, and then you've got, you know, guys that the fans know, you know, Bobby Labonte and Michael Waltrip and Paul Tracy. I mean, it's it's just a really fun group of people that they put together. And it's and the thing I like about it, too, is it's it's a diverse group in that you've got young up-and-coming people like Haley Deegan and you know, Ernie Francis, and you're matching up against Hall of Famers like Bill Elliott and Bobby Labonte. I mean, Tony Stewart. Um, so it's just it's a lot of fun. I think the SRX is one of the best things that's come around to racing in a long time. Is there one discipline among those that that race in it? I guess we we don't know this because you know it's been diversified in terms of the winners. But if you had to guess, is there one form of racing that seems to be most advantageous in terms of acclimating to those cars? No, because I think, I, like I said, I think people have shown, I mean, like a Marco, I was actually talking to Donald about this yesterday, and Donald said, he goes, I can't believe how well Marco has taken to these cars. He goes, I, he goes, I wouldn't, was a little surprised by how good Marco has been. Like, for example, on dirt, Tony Kanaan, I saw Tony Kanaan run at the Prelude to the Dream, and I think it was like in 2004 at Eldora, and Tony Kanaan on dirt at Eldora that year compared to how good he ran in SRX this year, totally different. Um, so I think people have, you know, you, you acclimated a little bit differently to the, the cars. Um, I, I think that's what's neat about it is, is the cars are pretty equal. And, you you know, if you have the talent, you can you can really show it. Now, I mean, a guy like Ryan Hunter Ray, he had never really been on dirt. So, uh, you know, he's learning dirt. And so 
he was picking it up as he was going a little bit, but he was getting better every time. Uh, Joseph Newgarden looked really good when he ran at Nashville. So I think it's a really fun series, and I, I really enjoy it. And, and I like the fact that uh, they came back this year, brought some different drivers in as well. And, and you know, look, Chase Elliott, I think he's run two times in the series. He's won both times he's run. So, uh, you know, really some incredible talent in the series. An update on Joseph Newgarden. We'll get you set for what's taking place Friday and set you up on – what we have upcoming tomorrow on Beyond the Bricks. We'll do that when we come back to Beyond the Bricks on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Different races, different cars, different drivers, but the same result, victory. As Gordon, John Cock, and Richard Petty win back-to-back at Indian Daytona. Both fought friction and wear with STP oil treatment. Both fought harmful sludge and abrasives with the STP double oil filter. And that's a winning combination in anybody's engine, including yours. Hard to believe that was nearly 40 years ago. No, 50 years ago, 49 years ago. Gordon Johncock, Kyle Petty, STP. Richard Petty, did I say Kyle? Richard Petty, sorry. The king, of course. From 1973, STP commercial. Jay Query here along with Mike Thompson. Mike, who never confuses Kyle and Richard Petty. I definitely um, don't confuse Kyle and Richard Petty. <laughs> I don't think many people do, right? I don't know why I was thinking. I mean, I knew, obviously, the king, Richard Petty. He is the – he is synonymous. That's a – you know, he is synonymous with STP, obviously. I, more so probably than, obviously, Gordon Johncock, although that might be blasphemous to say. I don't think that's really even blasphemous to say in these parts. Everybody knows of Richard Petty. Uh, again, to recap, let's first begin with Mike. What do we have upcoming on the show tomorrow? We're going to talk about uh, Bobby Allison, Donnie Allison, Kale Yarborough, and Leroy Yarborough, I believe. Okay. And what's fun about that is I know that you enjoy when Kale and Bobby sing, so maybe we'll bring back them singing <laughs> just for you. <laughs> off, the, off the NASCAR Goes Country. I'll album. bring the moonshine. Make that more tolerable, right? <laughs> Uh, yeah, that exactly. that is something, man. For those that have not heard it, what year? I, I forget what years were they recording? Did they fancy themselves as musical stars? I think NASCAR Goes Country came out in '79, maybe. Uh, seven, no, seventy, seventy-five or seventy-six, because it was it was in the middle of the '70s. Because uh, that Richard Petty sings on that. Actually, I was actually going to pull that out tonight. Richard Petty singing "King of the Road." So that's that's a classic as well. Um, to recap for everybody, by the way, uh, upcoming on Friday, it is basically quals for IndyCar followed by quals for the Xfinity race, and and then of course double dip for those races on Saturday or um, on Saturday. So the qualifying's Friday, practice and qualifying on Friday, uh, races on Saturday, and then race on Sunday. We'll be back tomorrow night for Beyond the Bricks. Uh, Sam Rumsa is in with us. Thanks again, uh, Mike. Not only. Uh, to you tonight, but also for lining up Matt Yoakum with us, who always a fun conversation when Matt can get on and talk a little racing. Absolutely. Happy to have him join us because a good friend of mine, great guy. Uh, he is a really good guy and avid helmet collector. If you know anybody selling a helmet, Matt Yoakum is your guy. I'll be back at 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock in the morning, I should say, with Kevin Bowen for Kevin and Query, and then back tomorrow night for Beyond the Bricks. Have a great night, everybody.